this. Okay. Um, if you're able, would you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read it today? This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both and the other, both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and um, speak to us, convince us, nudge us, prod us, help us to see reality as you see it, and to respond um, willingly, positively to your leading today. This is a tough area for many of us, so we need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now, today we want to consider how we can train ourselves and our children to use the digital world in a way that's helpful and in a way that does not enslave us. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. And you might look at the digital world and say, well, that's really new, but there's a sense in which the challenges that we face with the digital world are very similar to challenges they faced in the ancient world. And we'll get into some of those. The digital world offers gambling to a degree that probably has never been the case in human history before. I started gambling when I was seven years old. And uh, during recess, we would do what we called lagging. And you would take coins, and you would um, you'd throw them at a wall. And you'd see who could come closest to the wall. And whoever was closest won everybody else's coins. And if you got a leaner, you got double. So that was really fun. Um, as we grew, we branched out to other things. We did uh, dice, craps, where we would bet. We actually had a little bell, uh, you know, little green tablecloth with all the little things for playing craps like they do in Las Vegas. Somebody actually bought a roulette wheel, a little plastic one, and we played roulette. But as we kept, and we also, we also were pretty strange because we'd like bet, uh, bet on just stupid stuff. Like, I bet the next card that comes around the corner is red. No, I bet you it's yellow. Okay. You know, and then you bet money. It's, you know, who does that? Um, <laughs> we did. Uh, but mostly, we eventually got to, to poker. And so all through high school, every Friday night or Saturday night, we played poker for probably about five hours. Um, we played at my friend's house, and his mother played with us. And she would sit there, and for all five hours, she would nurse a single can of Coke and smoke, chain smoke. And we're there in the kitchen. And uh, we played for stakes that were way too high, much more than we could afford. Um, and because of that, we were way too intense about the outcome of who was going to win different pots. Um, we would play. What would happen is when you're, when you're playing poker and you get your, your cards dealt to you, and then you get your hand, and, and you pick it up. And because you've got people all around, you've got six or eight people at the table, and you're going, and what you're hoping, this is the moment, you see, this is the moment, you're, you don't know what you've got yet. 
and you're hoping that it's something good. And you open and, and you start flexing the cards and looking at them and you go, if you can't see that, that's four aces, okay? <laughs> if you don't play poker, that's a really good hand. Um, And that is where the addiction kicks in. When you're sometimes rewarded with something, your brain sends out endorphins um, and you start feeling very, very good. And the dopamine is the one that it sends out most of the, for, the, for the pleasure center. And it also, in a situation like that, puts adrenaline into your bloodstream. I can still remember from early childhood the sense of the dopamine in the brain, and the, I didn't know what it was called back then, but, and the adrenaline and just the excitement. I've got a good hand. And then you, you're betting, and you're hoping somebody doesn't have a, a worse hand, but you're, it's addicting because when you experience intermittent rewards, rewards that aren't predictable, but they happen, what your brain does is it shoots some dopamine into your pleasure center, and in another place, it says to your brain, pay attention. What just happened? And well, I, I, I just got dealt some cards, and then I had some pleasure. And what your brain does is it begins to create triggers around whatever just happened. And so if you're a gambler, your triggers might be you see a deck of cards, you want to play. You see a buddy that gambles with you, you want to play. You see poker chips, you want to play. You see the house where you play, you want to play. It creates cravings. Now, this is true of other addictions as well, whether it's uh, chemical addiction or shopping online addiction or whatever it might be. That's the way that our brain works with addiction. And if you are unable to resist those cravings, then you become enslaved. Now, people enslaved to gambling down through the ages and even more so now online, they've lost their life savings, they've lost their families, they've lost their jobs, they've lost just about everything of value in their lives. And you, you can go to, if you want to physically see something, you can go to Las Vegas and see people that are sitting there for hours and hours using slot machines. I was fortunate. I ended up not becoming enslaved to gambling. After I, a couple years after I turned my life over to Jesus, um, I kind of was looking at our weekly game and I said, you know, this is not good for relationships. We played for way too much money and so it was pretty testosterone -y. And um, also, it, w it just wasn't good for my heart because I wanted the money. So I quit the game and uh, did, I, I avoided the, the enslavement. But one of my buddies definitely was enslaved for many, many decades. Not many, many decades, for several decades. And paid a huge price. Still is paying that price. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. The Apostle Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth. The church at Cor Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It sat right on this very strategic spot. It was a port where they traded. They had to unload and then carry things a short distance and then load them back up on other ships. They made tons of money. And it was a place that was metropolitan, cosmopolitan, people of different cultures and different languages, and everything was available. And so lots of people went to the pagan temples where there were temple prostitutes, and people gambled, and people drank. And what they would say is, you know, all, all things are lawful. And Paul would respond, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not going to be enslaved by anything. If we can put this ancient wisdom from the Bible into practice, I believe it will rescue us from the dangers of the digital world, 
and it will help us to use the benefits of the digital world to flourish. Now last week, Kathy Gray started our series, did a wonderful job and explained how experts have intentionally designed apps and games and websites and social media to addict us. Social media and news alerts give us intermittent pleasure by telling us something interesting, kind of like when people gossip or people just put you in the know. We kind of like that. And so they play on that. And then if it's intermittent, then that releases the dopamine, which gets you addicted to just that little bing or whatever it is. Online gambling works just like the gambling that almost enslaved me, only there's one additional factor. It's now anonymous. And so, whereas when I would play with my friends, if I was losing a bunch, I'd be embarrassed, there's nobody watching if I were to play online or if, if people who gamble online. So the anonymity makes it that much more powerful. Video games give you pleasure as you win and go up levels and re they reward you with thousands or millions of points. In these and other ways, the digital world is intentionally designed to addict you. Now, addiction has been around ever since Adam and Eve rebelled and brought a curse upon all creation. But the Bible gives us some helpful principles, both in avoiding, in resisting temptation and avoiding becoming addicted or getting over addiction once we are. Now, this is not to say that the digital world does not offer some helpful things. We want to look at that, but we want to look at the big picture today um, and see what are some practices that can help us to make the digital world helpful um, and not enslaving. But if we're going to understand what it means to be helpful, then we need to understand what's valuable, what's our purpose. Now, if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, then you've probably got some kind of purpose you've decided upon. Maybe it's just what your friends have told you or your family or your culture. Maybe you've kind of taken your own road and said, this is going to be my purpose. And that's kind of the way people often are in our culture. That's the way I was before I started following Jesus. And maybe you're Maybe your purpose is just to have pleasure. That was mine. Uh, maybe your, pleasure, your purpose is to have a great family or great friends. Maybe you just are very altruistic and you want to leave the world a better place than you found it. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, then we all agree that God knows more than we do and that he's revealed some of what he knows and he's revealed our purpose. So we can see that anything that helps us accomplish our purpose is helpful. Anything that does not is not helpful. So what does God say is his purpose for us? Would you read it with me on screen? And you shall love the Lord your God. Let's start again. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does God want for, for us to be doing? He wants us to love him and be loved by him. He wants us to love people and be loved by them. But we're born selfish. Most of us are slow to forgive, quick to anger. We're broken. We don't love people very well. It's actually interesting that probably the people that you love the most are the ones you hurt the most. So when we turn our lives over to Jesus, because we're so broken, he puts his Holy Spirit into us and begins to change our hearts, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus so that we become better and better at loving God and loving people. From Romans 8, our previous series, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's purpose? He wants to make you like Jesus. And from Kathy Gray last week, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God is wanting to transform us each so that we love better. 
Now, when the Holy Spirit gradually changes our lives, you and the people around you should see what we call the fruit of the Spirit. You should see that more and more you, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and that really tough one in the digital world, self-control. So if your video games or your online shopping or your social media or your online gambling is, for example, making you less patience, patient or hurting your self-control, then it's probably not helpful, is it? Because that's God's purpose for you. God's purpose is not just that you have pleasure and get through life. He wants to transform you. Part of loving people is serving them and helping them flourish. Now, does the digital world bring any benefits like that? Are there any ways in which the digital revolution has helped us to serve people better and to help them flourish? Oh, absolutely. We grow crops better. We, people don't starve partly because of that because we're able to transform them and, and we fly all over the, the world and we are able to uh, predict the weather better and save lives and heal people of illnesses and diseases in ways that we never could. We educate people much better with the digital revolution. We even have high-definition screens where you can see planet Earth and the amazing creation that God has developed and go, wow, God, you're amazing. Those are all good things. Digital technology helps us to flourish. Also, probably many people don't realize that there are thousands of Muslims in the Muslim world who are becoming followers of Jesus. And many of them, what happened was they wanted to find out about Jesus and they went online and they watched a video of a former Muslim telling them how Jesus had spoken to them in a dream or a vision and how they had become his follower and how it was going. It's a pretty good use of digital technology, huh? Not very controllable by even closed countries. So there are a lot of benefits. It often helps people flourish. There are ways in which the digital world helps us, and it's good. But every new technology brings both opportunity and risk. When factories were first developed, it usually starts in the, in the textile industry, producing cloth. And in England, which was one of the first in the Industrial Revolution, they had these great big, what they call frames, that were um, weaving the cloth together. And it put people out of work. And they were upset, and they tried to break them and so forth. But eventually, they realized they couldn't resist it. And as factories developed and the Industrial Revolution developed, what did we find in the factories early on? We found children working 15 hours or more a day. It was awful. But eventually, we figured out we shouldn't do that, but we should protect them, and now we have laws so they don't do that. Meanwhile, factories made fewer people produce all kinds of stuff which help people to flourish and then produce other stuff. And what we see all around you and out on that street, it's all the result of factories, all the gadgets and everything that we've got. Factories were here to stay. Initially, we made a lot of mistakes. But factories were here to stay. Digital technology is here to stay. And it brings many wonderful benefits, but we have not yet learned to be as careful with it as we should. I will not be at all surprised if in a few years there are laws preventing toddlers from playing video games. Just like now there are laws preventing children from working in factories. Neil Postman writes, the consequences of technological change are always vast, often unpredictable, and largely irreversible. 
Now, in addition to helping people survive, thrive, educate, heal, digital technology also brings a number of recreational options. Now, I'm convinced that it is good for followers of Jesus to play, to enjoy movies and theater and comedy and art, even shopping. That's not my thing, but that's fine if some of you want to enjoy it. Um, creativity is part of God's nature. And so we should create and enjoy each other's cultural creations. Involvement in, in play and in the arts is supposed to refresh us. And these kinds of activities help us to flourish, but we need to do them in moderation. We need to constantly strive for a happy medium. But many of us, including me, struggle with keeping a happy medium when it comes to digital stuff to make sure our involvement is in moderation. Now, I don't struggle with online shopping. I don't struggle with online gambling. I don't struggle with online pornography. I don't, I don't struggle even with online gaming, but I do struggle some with video games. I was around when the first ones came out. I was in college, and one of the very first video games was based on the TV show Star Trek. And what you did was you had to play it on a mainframe. People didn't have personal computers. And the way that the mainframe was programmed is you used those cards that were punched hole, had punched, holes punched in them. And because we couldn't get mainframe time most of the time, we had to go very late at night. And so we would go in the middle, of, we would play for hours in the middle of the night. And what you did is you'd type in the instruction, you, it would print out a piece of paper for you, showing you, let's put it on screen. This is actually a screenshot. This is a later edition. We did it on paper. Okay? See, this is a star. This over here is supposed to be the capital letter E for the Enterprise. And you have things like, I think it was C for Klingons and R for Romulans and B for base. And you actually had to use your geometry because wherever you were, you had to calculate the angle to shoot your photon torpedoes and your phasers to get the bad guys, to get those Romulans and wipe them out in the, in the, in the galaxy. And uh, we would, that's, that's what we would see on the piece of paper. Then we would calculate the angles, type them in into a card print, card puncher, and then we would take that to the card reader, put that stack in there, it would go through, and then it would print out another piece of paper and tell us how well we did it at killing the bad guys. Now, how does that compare with what we have today? <laughs> really hokey, huh? Not very interesting, huh? We were hooked. Hours and hours. I, some people are addicted to some things. Some people are addicted to other things. What addicts you might not attract me. What addicts me might not attract you. But I have to watch it on that one. Video games often give a false sense that you're accomplishing something. In this case, we were saving all of you guys by wiping out the Romulans. And they can easily take up much more time than is needed to simply recharge. But addiction is not the only problem caused by being too connected to our digital devices. When we are too connected, it changes our neural pathways. And we can actually find it incredibly difficult to focus and to think deeply, and we become shallow thinkers, and this is pretty serious. Uh, this is a picture of Tim Shawley's book, we have a bunch of books out there for you to borrow. You can also buy them. I read this one this week, really liked it, thought he really did a good job, and a lot of what I'm saying today comes from his book. Um, 
I highly recommend it. And you can also process this. We'll have a small group after this, and there's small groups next week. You can sign up on the card, put it in the offering plate, um, or just show up. But Tim Shalas writes, <coughs> excuse me, as technology changes our biology, reshaping our brains, we become the product of our technologies in some deep and profound ways. Now, Dr. Edward Hollowell has been at Harvard Medical School as a psychiatrist and a faculty member for decades. And he has discovered what he's calling an attention deficit trait. Now, it's not like ADHD where you're, it's kinda, you're born with it or chemical or it's genetic or something like that. This is an acquired trait in your brain. Quote, he says, it's a condition induced by modern life. Now, pay attention to this one. In which you've become so busy attending to so many inputs and outputs that you become increasingly distracted, irritable, impulsive, restless, and over the long term, underachieving. Sound like anybody you know? He says this condition leads to a more superficial, hurried life. We work more and accomplish less, sleep less, exercise less, spend less free time with friends, we have difficulty thinking deeply, and we miss out on the fulfillment that comes from coming up with our own ideas, creating things. Part of the image of God is that he's creative. You're meant to create. And yet the digital world is sapping that out of many people. God does not want us to be shallow. God wants us to be deep. Another way of saying that is God wants you to be wise. Jesus is wise, and we want to become more and more like him. Now, this next diagram says normally what happens in life is you gather some information, you put it together, and that creates knowledge, and then when you make decisions, good decisions based on that knowledge, we call that wisdom. But what they're saying is that it seems that we, have we are becoming a nation of such shallow thinkers that we may not even get past the information part, and very few people are getting to the wisdom. That's what they're saying. Disturbing. Now, part of the reason is that most of our involvement in the digital world is with images and not with written words. Images are processed by your, the right side of your brain instantaneously, and they give you a feeling. Written words are processed by the left side of your brain. They are processed sequentially, and they engage your logic and your thinking. If you want to think d deeper and not let your di uh, digital di devices constantly distract you and keep you shallow, here are some of the things that Tim Shallows recommends. First of all, you need to just figure out what's going on in your life. How often are you being interrupted by what? How many times a day? It's th it's, I think it's 150 to 250 times a day most adults are interrupted by their phone or they look at their phone. I mean, are you kidding me? What a change. You, you, he says you probably need to unsubscribe to some things and delete some things so that it's not just this constant interruptions. You need to focus on substance. Now, I just want to share with you how I do that. Long ago, even before the digital revolution, I decided there were just way too many things to read. People, everybody wanted me to read too many things. And I was going to, instead of reading periodicals or blogs or other things, I read books. Because I figured that by the time it gets into a book, and editors looked at it, a bunch of people looked at it. It's not just what's the current fad. It's something that they figure is going to last long enough on the shelf that it's worth reading. So I, I tend to not read magazines and, and things like that and blogs and stuff. That's my choice. I also 
keep paying attention to the Bible. And as you know, I, I, I memorize. And I also, when I'm driving, I listen to college-level courses of some really good professors. That's how I focus on substance, not to just be frittering, frittering my life away. And I'm going to offend some of you here, watching some of the news channels where they just yell at each other. You know, I try to find somewhere they actually talk civilly to each other. Go for substance. Don't be distracted. You know, most of the news now is just sound bites. You can't get deep enough. And they're really trying to addict you. Part of the digital revolution. Cultivate concentration. Write things. Focus on things. Memorize things. And also seek times of solitude and seek times when you're just going to turn off everything digital. Maybe it's a few hours a day. Maybe it's a week once a year. Who knows? See, in many of our lifetimes, not the younger people, you are digital natives, but for those of us who watched this whole revolution take place, um, in 1946, one family out of 200 had a television. How many have one today? Pretty much everybody. There are 4 billion cell phone subscribers in the world. 4 billion! 93% of American adults have a cell phone. On average, adults spend nine hours in front of screens every day. Now, they count, if you've got two screens, which many do, they count both of those. So it's, it's really like seven hours, but part of it's with more than one screen. Okay? Too much... Okay, so that's another thing. It makes us shallow thinkers. It makes us addicted. It makes us shallow thinkers. And here's another thing. Too much involvement in the digital world undermines our ability to work hard. See, when, when children play video games, it rewards them far too easily. They get a million points. They conquer all the bad guys. If they get stuck, there's a workaround or even a cheat. They can go online and figure that out. So instead of delaying gratification and building character, it teaches them not to work hard, to expect instantaneous gratification. Now, many of you have heard about the experiment that was done many years ago, and it's been repeated in various cultures and over and over again in which they would take four-year-olds into a room, sit them down at a table with a plate, and put a marshmallow on the table. And they'd say, you can eat that, but if you'll wait 15 minutes, I'll give you another one. And then they film these kids. You can go online, you can watch them. I mean, I watched, I watched one of this, the, the, the researcher was saying, this little girl, she ate the inside of the marshmallow and then put it back so that we wouldn't be able to tell. And um, he said, we need to keep our eye on her. Um, but two-thirds of the four-year-olds could not do it. Two-thirds could not do it. One-third did it. But they didn't stop there. They watched these kids for decades, and they found that the one-third that was able to delay gratification, it was, which is self-control, the one-third with self-control was hugely just better at life, better grades, better jobs, better families, better health. And the two-thirds that weren't able to do it, the opposite. Self-control, that's that last one on the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a tough one when it comes to the digital world. Is chocolate a good thing? That's not a trick question. Is chocolate a good thing? But if I ate chocolate cake every day, two pieces for every meal, would that be a good thing? No. Is wine a good thing? But if I drank lots of wine every day, would that be healthy for me? Is the sun a good thing? 
But if I went out there without a hat and without sunscreen, what would happen if I stayed out in the sun for a long, long time? I get burned, I might get skin cancer. See, these things are good for us, but they're good in moderation. They're good when we have a happy medium. Now in heaven, we're going to be just surprised constantly by these wonderful things. We're not going to get addicted. We're going to have we're going to even enjoy whatever we're working on, but our greatest enjoyment will be when we're face-to-face -face with God. But for now, we have to really watch out because we are in a broken world. We are broken, and we are easily addicted or become shallow thinkers. Another issue with the digital world is that our involvement in it is anonymous. When we worked with pastors in Sao Paulo, Brazil, a city of 20 million people, Unfortunately, periodically, we would get word that one of the pastors had gotten caught or one of his parishioners had gotten caught. And because in a city of 20 million, if you go downtown, nobody knows you. So there were people who, although they claimed to be followers of Jesus, because they could do it anonymously, they would go to brothels and things like that. And somebody would see them and they'd get caught. Well, see, the Internet is even more that way. You don't even have to go downtown. It's just anonymous. And so we have this huge epidemic addiction to things like pornography or to things like purchasing, online buying, lots of different things that can be addictive because the anonymity means that nobody sees you. You see, until big cities came and now even more so the digital world, everybody knew everybody's business. If you drank too much, they knew you drank too much. If you were lazy and didn't work hard, they knew that. If, if you went to the brothel, everybody knew and probably told your wife. Os Guinness says, for most people, most of the time, their villages or towns were sufficiently cohesive and their relationships sufficiently close that behavior was held in check. But now, the people who care about us, they often have no idea what's going on on our screens. Whether or not it's an addiction or something that's not good for us, We feel very free. We have this amazing freedom of doing whatever we want on the Internet, but it ends up enslaving us. We need each other in this. Whatever you have to do, make your screen activity visible for the people that love you. Get some accountability into your life. We're often willing to settle for whatever makes us feel good. God wants us not to do that. He wants us to be committed to what is actually good for us, what makes us more like Jesus in the long run. So you need to consider what is your involvement in the digital world doing to your heart. A lot of people go on there and complain about things. Is it making your heart more critical? Is it making you so that you're so busy and distracted you're unwilling to sit with God? Is it making it harder for you to study in depth the Bible or just go and sit with somebody who's, who's boring and listen to them? One of the best ways you can love somebody? A Stanford study shows that every hour of online time means that that person will have a half an hour less of face-to-face -face time with other people. And so we have a generation that is becoming less adept at relating to people, talking to them, picking up on just the cues of how they're feeling so they can love them better. I have permission to say this. Um, actually, I have a, have, a, have a son who, you know, their generation's so into texting, that's you guys, and, um, and some of you out there too. 
And so when you actually call him on the phone, it's so strange that you want to talk. He says, am I in trouble? One of the famous stories, most famous stories of all time and oldest is the Odyssey by Homer. And in it, Odysseus is trying to make his way home after 10 years fighting in the Trojan War. And his ship comes to an island and he sends three men out to scout it. And it is called the Island of the Lotus Eaters. And these are a passive people just kind of lying around and they eat a flower called the lotus. And it just fills them with this peacefulness and takes away all their desire to do anything. And the three men are given the lotus flower and they eat it and they forget all about going back to their home. They just want to stay there and eat lotus flowers. And Odysseus comes and he has to force them as they weep back onto the ship and away and they eventually retire. I mean, they, they eventually recover. I fear that we may become a nation of lotus eaters because the pleasure is so readily available on the internet. Every technology brings risks and benefits. We all benefit from digital technology, but we must discover together how we can use it in ways that are helpful and avoid using it in ways that are harmful for ourselves first and for our children. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Could the band and Rachel please come and lead us?